Welcome to episode 6 of the Bitcoinist podcast, recorded July 20th, 2016. Today we'll be interviewing Andrew Vegetabile of the Litecoin Association about their new roadmap and the future of their cryptocurrency. Everybody, uh, today we have uh, Andrew Vegetabile, um, director of the Litecoin Association, with us today. Uh, we're going to be discussing, you know, the new Litecoin roadmap, and then uh, just other various developments in the cryptocurrency ecosystem. Um, could you go ahead and give our listeners uh, just an idea of your work at the Litecoin Association and your involvement with cryptocurrency as a larger whole? Just to get things sure, off. Sure, absolutely. Um, I've been involved with uh, Litecoin, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies in general for. Oh, geez, it's been a number of years now, ever since uh, Mal Gox was still around, actually. So what's that, three or four years going on now? So, yeah. um, my my work with Litecoin has evolved over time. Um, the, the Litecoin Association used to be a smaller group of uh, individuals, and you know we weren't registered. We didn't have anything official. It was just a really passionate group of individuals. Um, since then, you know, I believe it's going on two years now, we actually registered as a uh, 501c not-for-profit organization. Um, and really our core mission statement is education and to protect uh, public assets. For instance, um, one of the things that was recently mentioned in the Litecoin roadmap was the Litecoin trademark fight that we've been uh, fighting. It's an international fight. With the uh, EU trademarking in like November of last year, I think. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. It's uh, based in Europe right now. Um, the the trademark office is actually the EU IPO, European Union for Intellectual Property Office, I believe it is. Um, that's based in Spain. That's where I've been sending all my paperwork, at least. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a one example of of many public uh, um, items that we help protect for the public interest. You know, wouldn't want Litecoin to be uh, trademarked and then nobody can, you know, use it like a a trademark troll would go after, you know? Yeah, I actually have a question related to that uh, regarding the Blockstream protective patents, uh, but we'll get get to that later on. Okay. So, awesome. Uh, So, it seems like, you know, Litecoin has sort of slipped away from the collective consciousness as other like shinier cryptocurrencies have kind of (laughs) come to the forefront for niche uses like ethereum and steam and all that but uh despite that uh it's it's kept in the top five um market caps for i mean years um and pretty much proven itself as a you know solid uh monetary asset uh in the same way bitcoin has and um do you think uh maybe the not being in the limelight so much has helped uh, smooth transitions like with the new roadmap and just updating the spec and things compared to things like uh, Ethereum and Bitcoin, which are covered more uh, consistently? Well, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it smooth. Um, there there was a quite a period of time. I'm thinking about how I want to phrase this. There's a period of time where the roadmap was assumed to be released for you know a lot quicker than it actually did happen and once we we the the group of us that were working on it which was um 
the Lyquin Association directors, our developers, some additional volunteers, as well as the core developers. We all work collectively on it. Once we realized the scope of it and how massive it was, it took a lot longer to release. And um, I, I personally felt the public pressure on that. Um, <laughs> there's yeah, now a new running joke of two weeks. Everything is going to happen in two weeks because a tweet was sent out by one of our official Twitter handle handles um, by someone who handles that account and it said, hey, you know, we're going to be releasing this in two weeks. Um, once everybody saw that, we're like, dude, yeah, it's not going to be ready in two weeks. You shouldn't have sent that. And they just, you know, quickly removed it and uh, made a, an apology saying, oh, OK, didn't mean to send that out. Meanwhile, yeah, took... can... things Sorry, like that can definitely be. Oh, I was just gonna say things like that can definitely, uh, you know, sort of change perception of projects like that. Like with uh, the Lightning Network deployment for Bitcoin has a similar delay problem. Yeah, absolutely. And these things happen um, by day. By you know, by day, I'm an engineering program manager, and I have uh, engineering oversight of an entire program, and. Um, you know these things do happen schedules uh evolve and you know the people that are working on it don't get um you know they're not available at times or in our instance you know we were working across seven different time zones which makes communication extremely difficult um i can imagine yeah um you know america europe china and and a bunch of other places um so yeah, back to your original question, you know, even though we weren't in the public limelight as much as Bitcoin or Ethereum or Steemit or or maybe some of the other cryptocurrencies, you know, there's still uh, inherent pressure because the core Litecoin community is so um, hungry for updates. And then this is interesting because you, you mentioned that it's not as shiny as some of these other ones that are coming out, like like Ethereum. You know, Ethereum's doing all these cool things and, you know, they're going to do, be doing smart contracts and everything else. But, you know, I personally take pride in the fact that Litecoin is stable. It yeah, is that's a, stable. That's a very good point. It is solid. It doesn't have, you know, significant volatility. And I know there are people out there that are going to be listening to this and are going to be saying, oh, but volatility is great. You know, we're going to, you know, we're going to be able to make more money off of it. But for me, my perspective, I really don't care if you make money off of it. It's there to be utilized as an alternate payment method. And that's really yeah. why I do what I do, because I believe that's... in the vision that Satoshi had. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a very fair point. And also... You know, if you have less people speculating and, um, you know, generally sort of just playing the market to play it, uh, the base value can be sort of, it's more accurate. There's less noise on the line for signaling. So that's definitely an upside of Litecoin, at least in my view. Absolutely. Absolutely. Some other people may take that, especially some of the day traders, they'll take it as, oh, you know, not so much volatility, not so much money to make off of it, not as sexy as some of these other ones. But you know what? To be perfectly honest, I'm not looking for those short term gains that people want to get now. I'm looking towards the future. And honestly, the the others and, you know, the other directors in Litecoin Association, the volunteers that we work with, the developers that we work with, both on the L.A. side and the core group developers, they all feel the same way. It's, yeah. you know, we want it to be utilized as an alternate payment method. We want it to, you know, we want to work with Bitcoin. We want to work with you know, whatever else. 
in order to give people that financial freedom out there because when you have that financial freedom it really opens up doors for um individuals that didn't have doors opened up before such as the unbanked you know the the, the world in general has a large um unbanked they have, there's a large population out there of individuals that that don't have access to banking and yeah. that causes significant hurdles to their lifestyles so yeah, it's, it's a lot harder to get you know startup capital or just take yourself out of poverty if you know you have no way to absolutely access i mean you don't have resources. you don't have banks you don't have loans you can't you know go and buy a house if you don't have a loan you'd have to save up I me mean, personally me i couldn't afford my house right off the bat i got a mortgage and so <laughs> i'm sure so do most people out there you know yeah absolutely and that's that's definitely a good point and it's interesting to see somebody involved with you know, an advocacy organization who isn't a maximalist because you'll get very different views if you talk to somebody from, say, you know, uh, Slocket or the Ethereum Foundation on, you know, what makes the cryptocurrency ecosystem uh, valuable. Well, I've, I've, you know, not just the work I do, but I'm also, I like to consider myself an academic. I've got at least one paper out there, maybe two if you consider the one dogecoin one that i wrote long ago about their their forking uh oh, i shouldn't say forking merge mining merge mining paper but um i'll check that out yeah 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 i can certainly send you a link uh i wrote that one and then i wrote a really good one on um uh forking in general this was way long ago when uh paycoin was still a big thing and um, we were just discussing, I was discussing the implications of forking Paycoin if they were to fork away from um, Garza's coins and everything. It, it, it's just an interesting paper. I'll certainly send you links, but... Jeez, um, I forgot. <laughs> Went off the yeah, tangent there. I forgot we were originally talking about there. Yeah, that's, that's all right. Let's go ahead and... Get back on track. So um, let's talk about the roadmap that was recently released. Um, okay. And uh, just, you know, briefly go over some of the points and what do you see as the most exciting uh, developments and changes in Litecoin? Oh. Well, um, when we released the roadmap, actually, even before we, rele we released the roadmap, I... Uh, took it upon myself to try to inform the community as best as I can without leaking information about what was in the roadmap. So one of the first things that I did was I said, okay, this is basically going to be broken up into three sections. There's going to be the Litecoin Association section. There's going to be the Litecoin Association developer section where we're developing, we, we have our internal developers that are working on critical applications we feel necessary for Litecoin to evolve, um, such as Loaf Wallet, one of the huge items that we've been working on, uh, thanks to one of our fellow developers, Losh, and former developer, now director, uh, MLP Frank, Franklin. Okay. Um, and then the third portion of the roadmap is the core uh, developers' updates. Um, as far as getting excited, you know, what, what portions are, do I enjoy the most? It, I don't know. Maybe I'm biased. I Actually, I am biased. I'll just say a lot of the stuff we're doing within the Litecoin Association to try to 
elevate our organization up to a more proper organization, I'm really excited about. Okay. So, you know, we've made some changes. We uh, have a new director, as I mentioned before, Franklin Richards. He's now uh, one of our directors <clears throat> to go along with um, Phil Allman and Jason King of Sean's Outpost, which, you know, not too many people know, but Jason's actually one of the five LA directors. Oh, okay. And, uh, sorry, I'm tired. Eric, I can't pronounce his last name at this moment. It but happens. if you go like when association, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like with my last name, right? <laughs> yep, yep. Um, but if you go to likequinassociation.org, one of our websites that we just launched in uh, in tangent with the roadmap, you can see the team um, and each of the directors and developers. And we plan on adding more folks to that group uh, in the team section. Okay. So we, you know, we add a new director. We have bylaws written. We need to ratify those bylaws. We want to open up the organization for membership. Um, you know, that's huge for us because when we open up for membership, because we're a not-for-profit organization, we really rely on donations to continue running. Yeah. And we operate a lot of, you know, websites to try to help the public out. We also have to pay for... Um, you know, protections for those websites and as well as, you know, just minor generic things like this trademark stuff. I had to FedEx paperwork cost me like $60, you know. Mm. Um, I mean, legal stuff always costs money. Yeah, legal stuff always costs money. And, <laughs> and lawyer you know, sure. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, good for us. We actually have a group of lawyers that to this point in time have worked pro bono so thank god you know we have good people working with us yeah definitely um, but they understand they understand the position we're in and they want to help just like you know we want to help the public um so you know really really excited about opening up membership um getting more and more people involved and maybe setting up some committees and really getting things active like the bitcoin foundation um not to say that we're going to mimic what they're doing. That, that's actually do what my follow-up question is. Um, yes. <laughs> what would you say to people that have concerns that this could become a centralizing force with Litecoin? <clears throat> well, we are certainly not a centralizing force. We we want to interact with the community. We want to get community feedback. We want to involve those out there who care about Litecoin as much as possible. So we represent, you know, the, the directors do represent the organization from a uh, functional standpoint because, you know, that's, that's how the organization is set up. Um, so when it comes to public education, let's say, of politicians, you know, when they had the bit license come out, we drafted some paperwork and sent it to Ben Lawski and said, you know, Litecoin administration, or I'm sorry, the Litecoin Association, um, you know, we, we don't want to, you know, we think this is a horrible idea. The, this is going to hurt the industry. It's going to kill business, so on and so forth. Okay. Um, but with that said, we still want to get more people involved and try to get their thoughts and opinions and involvement 
if not for anything, just for the simple fact that there's so much stuff that we could be doing, but we're short on resources, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I would love more and more people to get involved. And we actually recently, <clears throat> excuse me, with the roadmap coming out, we recently had a number of individuals reach out to us. And one gentleman in particular was very adamant about helping out. And he was like, well, you know, I can't code. Um, I can't do this, can't do that. But I'll tell you what. I know Spanish. I'm like, this is perfect. We need a translator. This would be an awesome job for you. You can translate the roadmap in Spanish and you can help us out in future um, public statements and things like that. So, you know, even if you have something, you know, an obscure skill, we can still, you know, find something for you to do if you're that passionate to help out. Oh, okay. Awesome. So, so yeah, and, and um, about the Bitcoin Foundation, I do want to mention one thing just for clarity, sure. because I know a lot of people are going to have, you know, some hymns and halls about it. The Litecoin Association has always had one solid mission statement, which is public education, as I said before, and protecting community interests. Okay. Um, the Bitcoin Foundation has like mutated over time and had like three or four different mission statements from education to helping development to you know whatever be the case um yeah, sort of mutated so, into what it is now exactly and now i i think they're doing a lot better um the the one gentleman that recently stepped down and i apologize i did not remember his name um he did manage to bring in their uh their accounting amount you know the, they they were they were just hemorrhaging money yeah and he managed to like pay off all their bills and managed to reduce their I'll, I'll call it workforce to appropriate amounts per the amount of uh capital they were bringing in and everything else so you know th they are doing better i i don't keep tabs on them that much but they seem to be doing much better than they were before um and so, yeah, I just wanted to make that point that, you know, our core mission statement always has and always will be that. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, you're, either way, you're going to have to deal with the uncomfortable comparison there just because of absolutely the between the two cryptocurrencies. Uh, speaking of which, um, you know, we, we've been talking a lot about how, you know, Litecoin might be less shiny, but there's a lot of things that makes it worthwhile as uh you know, an asset in the cryptocurrency space. And I was wondering what your views were um, on the advantages and disadvantages of sharing a lot of code with uh, the Bitcoin specification. Because... Um, yeah, seems... that's a very fair question. That's an extremely fair question. Um, so if people don't know, you know, Litecoin, the vast majority of our code is shared with the Bitcoin code. Um one of the i'd say one of the strongest advantages of that is that we have the opportunity to utilize code that's been viewed by not just our own experts our own developers which by the way i hold in very very high regards um because they're not our developers are not just litecoin developers they're also bitcoin developers and, you know, people don't realize that our guys do work on the Bitcoin code. Um, but we also have others out there, you know, the other core developers that are looking at the same exact code and they're ensuring that there's not going to be any long outstanding effects or bugs or anything like that. 
I consider that a huge advantage. And then maybe, you know, you won't run into a situation where, and I know people are going to call, are going to say this is inappropriate, but I'm going to mention it anyway. You're not going to run into a situation where you get $53 million stolen from you from a line of code. Yeah. Yeah, you know? absolutely. <laughs> We're actually, I uh, want to discuss uh, that a little bit later as well. There's sure. you know, regarding your open letter and everything, but um, ah, okay. Not a problem. Before, before we get into that, um, I didn't say my disadvantage though. <laughs> oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, um, as far as a disadvantage to it, um, and this kind of goes back to public perception. A lot of people don't, you know, they see Litecoin, they're just lifting from the Bitcoin code, and you know, they their public perception, and you know what they say about perception. Perception is reality for people but the public perception is that you know we actually don't do that much in terms of development because we do utilize a lot of the bitcoin uh core code um which is completely untrue because you know we do have other things we work on as well yeah and if you understand development you understand that even if it's a fork of the code base and there are things you can you know take downstream to make your job easier as time goes on it's going to be more and more divergent it's just the nature of things, typically. Absolutely. So, so yeah, I, I see how that's an easy, you know, mistake to make for sure, and that's an important distinction. Um, now, uh, what are, what are your opinion on all of the sort of script ASICs coming out? Um, that seem to be increasingly uh, efficient at uh, hashing that particular proof of work. Well, I've I've said before many many times even on (laughs) other podcasts that humans are creatures of efficiency we're going to look for the most efficient way to do something Uh, you can also take it another way humans are also inherently lazy (laughs) so we're going to do we're going to invent something to do the work for us so we don't have to I mean, yeah, um, that's, that's you know, one of the core tenets of the Unix philosophy. So there you go, exactly. So far, you know, why would why would I walk uh, thirty miles to work when I can drive there? You know, yeah, I, I call that pretty damn efficient. You know, perfect example is the car. <laughs> Moving on to the next question, um, you wrote an open letter to the Ethereum Foundation and Vitalik Vitalik Buterin. Mm-hmm. Um, recently regarding the uh doa uh soft and hard fork mm-hmm. and caution them you know to take a policy of non-interference so now that the hard fork has been successfully implemented uh what do you th- where do you see the trajectory of ethereum heading and uh what consequences do you think it'll have for the larger cryptocurrency community oh that's that's a dangerous question right there. Um, so I'll start with the hard fork. Um, and people are going to disagree with me, and that's perfectly fine. You know, everybody has their own opinions. Yeah. I I don't agree with the hard fork for multiple reasons. Um, first and foremost, I think it's based on greed. I think it goes against their principles, both as a cryptocurrency and with what they wrote as ethereum is ethereum code is law essentially i think on their website they even said something to the effect of it's never going to change it's always going to be correct and you never have to worry about fraud 
Um, apparently they do, you yeah. know, or at least theft. You maybe theft is considered a subset of fraud, whatever. But, um, you know, I, I think they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Uh, as I mentioned before, I did write a a um, fairly extensive paper about forking in general, <clears throat> and you can run into a number of different situations which would require a hard fork. And I don't believe that the situation that they've run into constitutes a necessity to actually have a hard fork. And I personally believe that it's damaging, not just on their reputation. And I'm going to say their reputation as a cryptocurrency, not their reputation based off of whatever speculation people are utilizing this as to make money off of, because people yeah. are going to consider that market cap as the win-win situation when essentially it's not long-term definitely it's easy to agree with you there and yeah and it's going to have legal ramifications down the road um I think, I think it's also important to consider that um if you don't mind me cutting in here uh that ethereum no. was sort of pitched as a platform to build other you know distributed ledger applications on top of and if your work can be invalidated because it's unpopular with people that hold a lot of the cryptocurrency and hash power then it's far less attractive compared to things like uh, um, Lisk or Rootstock or another, you know, smart contracts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I saw something interesting today, and I've often pondered this myself. But and I'll bring this up with you. You know, what if I decided I wanted to make a smart contract, but I only raised, you know, a hundred thousand dollars as opposed to one hundred and fifty million. And something happens with me personally, and, and not with me personally, but I mean my code, and it gets hacked and it gets stolen. Are they going to hard fork because of that? Uh, most likely no, because there's not 12% of the existing Ethereum in it. Um, most likely no, it's not 12%. I'm sorry? I said, well, that's how the incentives align. And actually, this leads into the next question. Uh, the soft fork... Um, by adding a general purpose command for blacklisting Ethereum hash values. Um, there's concern there that it can be used as an anti-competitive measure for entrenched distributed applications and majority holders mm -hmm. uh, to sort of, you know, squash uh, competitive developments on the Ethereum blockchain or uh, pull the rug out from under startups that are unpopular. So mm -hmm. kind of lines up with your question. You know, it's definitely a tough one to answer, but what are your thoughts on uh, that element of the soft fork? Do you... Blacklists, personally, are even worse than than what they're doing as far as a hard fork goes. Um, you know, yeah. once you start creating a blacklist, you're, you're basically eliminating the fungible uh, definition or the fungible requirement of what makes a cryptocurrency. Yeah. It I, no I longer becomes that. that. And... I mean, that's really the kiss of death at that point right there. Um, yeah, it's I not had... as discussed as the hard fork uh, sort of like bailout thing because that's obviously much more sensational. But I, I think it's something that shouldn't be ignored for sure. Oh, absolutely. And what, what I'm seeing happening with Ethereum right now is they're evolving into something. I don't want to say beyond cryptocurrency because beyond is not the correct term. They're, they're evolving into something other than cryptocurrency. They're actually, okay. you know, now that I think about it, they're starting to look a lot more like Ripple 
where they had a overarching authority that was laying down definitions of how the platform should be utilized and yeah. how it should be performing. And if things don't perform the way that they expect, that they would go ahead and take measures in order to um, make that correction. I can see that comparison, yeah. Except there's also the factor where uh, it's a bit like Reddit where confirmation bias and popular incentive is going to win out pretty much no matter what. There is, there is. Think about it that way. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I do agree. And this is actually something that's troubled me for, for a very long time on, on a personal level and looking out at the cryptocurrency space in general. It's the leadership in cryptocurrencies and how that leadership defines us as an industry and the movement of the industry itself where technically cryptocurrency is supposed to be this decentralized entity and you know we're not supposed to be um you know we're each supposed to individually vote on how things go like a hard fork yet the leaders in the communities influence such a significant amount that you know it sometimes may not be in the best interest of anyone else except for those leaders yeah i can definitely see that i mean uh there's pretty much leadership bodies for every single significant altcoin out there you know mm -hmm. to varying degrees obviously ethereum has proven to be much have much more central influence than initially thought with yep the, the and area. and i say this on a personal level knowing that my position in litecoin definitely does have an influence and things that i say does have influential weight out there in the community um and sometimes i i, I feel like i tread on eggshells on certain things that I want to comment on, but uh, either I don't or I'm very nebulous with my wording <laughs> because I don't want to be misconstrued, you know? Yeah, yeah, I can see that non-interference is a big, it's it's a big consideration if you're in a position of power like that. Mm -hmm. um, on, on that same sort of uh, thread, do you have any future advice for Vitalik and the Ethereum Association as one leader to another? Uh, my future advice would be for one, he needs some better advisors. Um, I, that, yeah. I, I said this in my open letter. I, I do firmly believe that he could make better use with better advisors and people that could actually, that, that he should listen to on the subjects of leadership and, and how to handle situations like the um, theft as well as just let it be man just if things happen even if it's 12 percent of the network it's only 12 percent of the network as it currently exists and you know future ramifications even if you go to pos it's not going to be that big of a deal 12 percent is really not that much by the time you get to pos it might i don't know go to six i haven't done the math but it's not worth what he did in terms of uh, saving face, I'll say. However, you know, if it was significantly invested, you know, I can see that it might have been worth it to him because, hey, he didn't want to lose any money. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, if you <laughs> there, had there to might help. be that conflict of interest right there. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. You know, if you can short it in the short term and then get all your money back. Yeah. yeah. But from one leader to another, my, my biggest suggestion, and I mentioned this in my open letter, was um, listen, never in the history of cryptocurrencies has a developer of an altcoin been so significantly entrenched with a I'll call it a third party application because that's really what it is. A I mean, third yeah, party a application um, and and helping to resolve that on the behalf of the entire network itself. Okay, yeah. Uh, so we're going to talk about Litecoin here in a second uh, again, but uh, uh, the word on everybody's lips right now is uh, Steam and Steam It and um, you know, it's seen explosive growth since its launch. Uh, I think it has around a $350 market cap, not dollar, $350 million, excuse me, market cap right now. Yeah, wouldn't, no one be talking about it if it was $350, but. <laughs> hey, we got uh, coins out there with those market caps too. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. You know, <laughs> Trump and Hillary both have sort of like campaign oh. funding Ponzi scheme type deals going on right oh. now, so. Uh, there's definitely smaller ones out there, but uh, hundreds of them. But uh, you know, it's it's this other like sort of niche uh, cryptocurrency plus sort of deal where you know, like Ethereum's a development platform. This has a social media component, and a, a lot of the ones that have been growing fast and you know have grown fast in the past have this differentiation. And we've talked about how Litecoin might be less sexy than these newer ones, but it's always retained a lot of value regardless. And uh, where do you see Litecoin fitting in down the road? Do you think it needs one of these differentiators? Or do you think, uh, you know, by virtue of it just, you know, being very similar to Bitcoin and uh, learning from Bitcoin's successes and avoiding its failures, uh, you know, it'll retain value that way? Well, um, you know, I, I'm certainly, as I mentioned before, a big proponent of the alternate payment platform and and to really see Litecoin continuing on with that. Um, you know, certain cryptocurrencies, it's always been mentioned before that, you know, we're, we're going to run into this, uh, as you call it, niche market where, you know, cryptocurrencies are developed for these certain purposes. And I've seen lots of attempts of that kind of happening. I've seen um, coins developed for countries like there's the um the one country coin the airdrop one which name escapes me at the moment i can't remember that was supposed to be country used there's also one supposed to be used actually multiple ones supposed to be used for porn sites um yep. that never really took off um Not and then really we have these larger ones ethereum you know development platform um great idea really great idea and we also have you know social media platform steam it which also is a great idea i've actually looked into it and i think it's pretty cool i haven't actually dug into the different dynamics of it but i think what they're doing is really interesting um i'm actually personally. waiting on an account code if you're listening steam it developers <laughs> you know my email address so <laughs> um but yeah but you know, for, for Litecoin, I, I really see it as an alternate payment platform, number one. Because that's, you know, following Satoshi's vision and following, um, you know, Bitcoin, we really want to have that core foundation. 
Now, yeah. that's not to say that we can't build on that with third-party applications. You know, there are certainly um, multitudes of different things that can be adopted to Litecoin in order to enhance the capabilities. But yeah. we, as a core group of individuals between the LA, the LA developers, and the core developers, um, need to ensure that we have that solid foundation that can be built upon. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect, perfect example, uh, Rootstock, you know, they're bringing uh, smart contracts to Bitcoins. And uh, I don't know if this is an open secret or not, but I'll just kind of mention it. We've been, you know, discussing uh, Rootstock development for Litecoin as well. Oh, you know, really? we've been talking okay. to, yeah, maybe this is the first awesome, time man. that people are hearing this. But yeah, we actually have been discussing it with them, with their development team. And some of our developers have been, you know, kind of chiming in. Well, that's certainly not a bad thing. I don't. I don't know if you know this, but after the uh, DAO was frozen, um, Bitcoin actually had more activity in smart contracts than Ethereum. So I'm not surprised. <laughs> it certainly got potential for growth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we really enjoy. Um, we really enjoy what those guys are doing, and we think it would be an awesome addition to. So, Rootstock guys, if you're listening to this, you know, still love working with you. <laughs> would love to continue working with you. Um, but you know, we really want to build that core and, and we really want to have others to build upon that core. Okay. And um, like you mentioned before, I, I think, I feel like it's easier to bootstrap, uh, third party stuff onto, um, Litecoin if they already have a code base for Bitcoin because of those similarities. Absolutely. That, you know, that is another huge advantage. And, and again, bringing a brute stock, you know, we had those, very similar discussions because the code base is so similar. It's not really that much work to do that. Um, another thing, the um, and I'm probably going to mispronounce it, the Lamassu ATMs. Same, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. same situation where you know the code base is so similar that you know we have increased chances of getting that kind of adoption for utilization out there for the for for that you know those pieces of equipment. Yeah, that is definitely so, a good point. It's it's comes down to that argument about dumb versus smart networks. You know, like the internet is a dumb network, and that's part of what made it so successful. Over absolutely, other information I'm, I'm, I'm a man of the kiss principle. Keep it simple, stupid. You know, <laughs> because if you got something easy to work with but doesn't do necessarily as much, but it's easier to build on and more modular, uh, long term value tends to be higher. Yeah. So, you know, again, I'm going to reiterate, you know, make sure that core foundation is there and, um, you know, we're going to promote it as an alternate payment method because it certainly is the core purpose of it. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Now, uh, you mentioned before the uh, trademark dispute with Litecoin and um, it was November of 2015, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And uh, you guys have uh, obviously been fighting that or I'm, I'm not sure if it's, you know, it's been successfully won yet, but. Um, no, it hasn't been successfully won yet. Um, however, the last grouping of paperwork that I sent in was about two months ago. Okay. Um, so there, there was a couple different things and I'll, I'll try to make these brief for one the trademark office changed names and and probably changed um, a couple different rules 
Um, it wasn't the EU IPO before. It was, you know, another named organization. So I can only assume that their internal dynamics changed just a tad bit when they had that name transition. Um, in addition to that, our original submission, when we first put this forward, was actually denied. And then someone went back and said, you know, we made a mistake here. We really shouldn't have denied this. We'll reopen this up. We'll let you go ahead and submit the information, the paperwork. However, with that said, there's a couple things that you guys need, one of them being formal representation in the European Union. Um, so within the last batch of paperwork that I just sent in two months ago, one of the things was we, we managed to um, retain the uh, a lawyer over in the EU who can represent us pro bono um, and his his help is going to be invaluable when he actually physically is being is representing us um, in whatever medium a court or something else um, I should say that you know we've had tremendous amounts of help with this trademark battle both uh, locally in uh, locally being the United States and internationally and you know I, I can't thank these people enough of the um, you know the amount of help that they've okay. actually provided us um, I'm actually at the end of this I'd like to provide you a list of names just as a thank you thing that you can list on your site when you list this yeah, podcast I'll, I'll throw it in the description for sure yeah yeah thank um, you so people listening check the description if you want to know who's involved in that. And uh, also um, if you want to read the open letter, uh, we've got that up on bitcoinist.net. I'll have a link to that as well. Uh, so yeah, uh, given that your experiences with the trademark fight, I was wondering what your views were with uh, Blockstream's sort of preventative patents on a lot of uh, these cryptocurrency technologies as um, a preventative measure to stop patent trolls from doing things like optimizing ASIC mining or trying to shut down, um, you know, open source implementations of uh, various cryptocurrencies that are similar to, or. I, I'll, I'll be perfectly things. honest. I have not looked into that one lick. I heard about it, <laughs> but I okay. haven't yet read any of the articles uh, involved with that. Um, my only comments would be, you know, we, we, as an organization, are fighting trademark for Litecoin, and I guess the community is, in a sense, trusting us um, to release this trademark once we do win it to, for public usage, which we are going to do. So I can only assume that there's going to have to be some sort of trust level with Blockstream with the patents that they have out there to ensure that they're not going to be utilized for nefarious purposes, i.e. patent trolling, you know. Yeah. So... Really, also, that's, that's the only comment that I can make on it at this time because, like I said, unfortunately, I'm not educated in that right now. Well, uh, the big concern right now is that uh, because it's an open license agreement, instead of, you know, making them sort of pushing them into the public domain, uh -huh. uh, that uh, Blockstream might use that to exercise, you know, sort of undue coercive power later on. But, you know, that's, that's largely speculative. There's really, you know... I, I've, I've been doing some preliminary research, but there's uh, not a whole lot, you know, to say how that's going to go down. Um, gotcha. In the future. Uh, and again, that's not me saying that that's going to happen, people. That's pure speculation. Uh, we'll have more detailed information on the site later. <laughs> uh, 
so yeah uh where where do you see uh litecoin let's let's say you know a decade from now in the cryptocurrency space well uh a decade from now i'm hoping to you know do my nine to five drive home from work stop by royal farms and uh you know gas up my car and and say hey we accept visa mastercard bitcoin and litecoin that's where i'm hoping to see it in about a decade or so <laughs> whether or not that actually happens i don't know i guess it largely depends on um how much work i put into it to to convince people that hey this can be truly utilized as as uh you know something else as, as an alternate payment method um that's where i'm hoping it goes but you know 10 years from now a decade from now i mean who's to say really yeah who's to say i mean in cryptocurrency years that's almost like a hundred normal years i mean yeah, kind of like kind of like dog years. young technology yeah <laughs> i mean it's kind of like dog years right now so you know every every year to a dog is seven years or every year to humans seven years to a dog so although I it mean, seems litecoins aged well in the grand scheme of things compared to some of the other altcoins that um started around the same time or even beforehand we have litecoin you know one of the things that we do enjoy it is the oldest most successful altcoin there there is no other altcoin out there that as that is as old and successful in terms of adoption that we have had enjoyed um you would attribute that to the similarity it has it shares with bitcoin or um no to... i i i'd actually attribute it to um charlie lee's genius in the way that it was launched so okay. one of the things that he did when he when he developed litecoin was he realized that if he were fighting for the same exact miners i.e sha256 versus script if he was going to go with child 256 that he was going to fight for the same people wasn't going to work out very well so uh namecoin i believe had that issue and they were fighting with the same miners and they actually ended up merge mining with bitcoin i believe yeah. um so you have a different grouping of individuals at the same point in time not only that they technology adoption in for mining lagged a little bit for the algorithm because you know there's various stages there's the cpu mining then there's the gpu then you're going to have a small small stint of fpgas and then you're going to jump right into asics yeah like it like you said um so while bitcoin was enjoying asics we were enjoying gpus so those folks that were looking for alternate ways to utilize their equipment found that with litecoin and that squeezed helped out adoption at the very beginning i'm okay. sorry i said they squeezed a little bit more life out of them yeah exactly and then you know the last thing was litecoin whether or not people know this had probably one of the most if not the most fairest launch in crypto history um charlie lee actually released all of the software i think a month or beyond a month to the general public um and he included a uh a, um basically a text file with the software with a i'll, I'll call it for lack of better terms a fake password 
Okay. And on launch day, Charlie gave out the real password to enable people to mine on the real Litecoin network. Now, before that, for that month ahead of time, people were able to mine on the um, testnet. Okay. Yeah. So it gave them a chance to set up their stuff in time and it gave people awareness ahead of time that they were able to, you know, really get into it all at once. And Charlie only mined two blocks at the beginning. He mined the Genesis block and, and the second one. And that was it. In, in direct contrast to uh, Dash's founder. In yeah, Dash or you know, th there you can name a ton of other coins that, that are significantly pre-mined. Yeah, even if it's not a significant percentage, it it does happen quite a bit these days for launches. Exactly. You know, one thing so, that I have run into the past is that because there is this uh, launch fairness and because there was this excitement, because back when Litecoin was launched, there wasn't that many alts at all. Um, there was a tremendous amount of support of people out there wanting to get into the network and yep. start mining it so for the first like couple days i'd say maybe even a week it looks like the network got insta mined because so many people jumped on board and the correction factor for the difficulty didn't happen until block uh, what was it 1000 something or 2000 something I, I don't remember off the top of my head Basically, um, the difficulty couldn't keep pace with the adoption. You know, no, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, two week period to so the network got mined. The network got mined to hell within the first few days, and you know, you can see that the difficulty because there's the adjustment factor happens after so many blocks. It just didn't happen fast enough. Um, so a lot more got mined in the very beginning because there were so many people on board with it. Interesting. Yeah, that's definitely um, unique to a lot of the newer platforms and cryptocurrencies being launched, where they, like we were talking about, significantly pre-mine it or uh, ha have some sort of insider thing going on there. Yep, yep. Uh, so, uh, anything you want to leave our listeners with, um, just in terms of, you know, what we've discussed and... Uh, you know, Litecoin in general? Um, yeah, a couple things. First and foremost, um, I don't know when it's going to happen. It's going to take some time, again, because we are a group of volunteers. We don't get paid for what we do. Um, we are going to be ratifying the bylaws and then open up membership for folks. And and uh, the, the significant amount of that money is going to be utilized in in the small amount that we're probably going to get going to be utilized to really help out the community itself so i i implore people that hey um you know once we open up membership it would be a huge boost for the community to you know join us you know try to get involved try to get more stuff done uh you know try to help out the community itself like we're doing all right um we're also going to be creating our new forum so was one thing we didn't discuss before our, our forums got hacked um, a number of months ago and we subsequently shut it down and locked everything and now it's in a read only mode. So we did bring on a new system administrator and he's going to recreate uh, forums in a new platform called Discord. And we're, talking for about, us. Uh, we're talking about um, Litecoin, Litecoin Talk. Talk. 
yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Just to clarify. Yeah. So we we are going to be bringing Litecoin talk back um, in a different format. So you know, please, you know, when we when we do bring it back, we look forward to you know having that community interaction there. Right now, or, or right having the community interaction there. Um, and right now, we're we're utilizing Reddit as our main platform. Um, yep. The other thing is, you know. As I said before, it's not the sexiest coin, but for our purposes, we really don't have to be. Yeah. So, you know, day traders, I know you guys love money. Nothing wrong with that. Everybody loves making money, but, uh, you know, we're around for the long haul. We're not around for short-term gains, and we we really want to be um, used 10 years from now, hopefully. <laughs> I don't yeah, know what's going to happen with Ethereum or Steemit, you know? I don't know, but I tell you what, Litecoin's been around for quite a long time, just like Bitcoin, and uh, we plan to be there for the long haul. That was our interview with Andrew, or the mage, from the Litecoin Association. I hope you learned something, and we'll see you next episode on the Bitcoinist Podcast. This week's episode is underwritten by HolyTransaction.com. HolyTransaction is a web wallet for multiple cryptocurrencies that lets you exchange in between them with no additional fees instantly. Again, that's HolyTransaction.com.